Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have uh, Matt Pless, singer-songwriter. Um, Matt's been one of my favorite singer-songwriters for a minute. Me and Michelle Gall, and Michelle Gall goes back to the very like beginning of these of these podcast episodes. When uh, I really started to dig into the podcast, it was to help support Michelle Gall's virtual show concert series, and she was raising money for local musicians. Um, we would do these tours, like little tours where we would go play out of town for a week or a weekend, and we did one in New York, and it ended up, we played at this venue called Thunderclap, which was a DIY venue in Ian Compton. He plays in a band called Lem, as well as a bunch of other projects. It was this back, it was this apartment complex, but the show was in this backyard, and it was me, Gall, and Matt Pless, Lem, and there was another artist I can't remember, but, uh... Me and Gall lucked out and got this other gig, too, because when you're doing that, you just want to say yes to whatever and show up wherever. But Matt started to play, and we were like, we can't go until he's done. And um, we snagged one of his CDs and listened to it, listened to it to the whole ride back. And uh, it, it's really cool stuff. And, and I've been looking for an excuse to, to talk with them, so I'm glad this popped up. And this, uh, out of out of all places, came up because of Keith Kenny, who we had on the show earlier. And that that's my favorite part about the music scene. It just gets smaller and smaller, and in a good way, where you're like, oh, I know that guy. And I'm so glad he's still hustling and doing it. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to talk about Matt's new album. Matt has a new album. It's called Cheap Shot on the Rocks. It's available on all streaming platforms. And the physical copies will be coming out soon. Um, we're going to listen to uh, Charlotte Divine. Twin lanterns meet in secret in a dungeon built for 
of regrets She's waiting at the altar where the dope sick genuflecting manic chemical delusions They'll be screaming Jesus saves when they're jumping like the rapture from a judgment balcony Where paradise is waiting burning just around the bend And all the freight train orphans won't be coming home again Charlotte Divine, Cheap Shot on the Rocks. So yeah, this was a great conversation. I also want, I want to point out now, because I know someone's going to point it out later. Um, during one of the bits, I was comparing the new record uh, to a record called Call It Art. And I didn't say Call It Art. I called it something else. So I don't mean to disrespect or, or make it seem as if I didn't do my homework. Because Call It Art is a great record and a great song. It was just, uh, at this point in the conversation, it was like a caffeinated conversation. It was really like, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I don't know if it's because I came in all that th- that hyped up for this conversation. Because this, this actually got bounced around a few times. And uh, we landed on this date, so I was all like ready to, to jump into this conversation a few times already. So I was like, yeah, let's go! But before we dive into that conversation, if you can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on any of the podcast platforms, that would be rad. It helps me keep talking to cool people and sharing those insights with you. Now, let's uh, let's dive into it. This is me and Matt Plus. We met, uh, fuck, I think in 2017? 
at or eighteen maybe at this venue in New York. It was a house a house venue called Thunderclap. With a, oh, in Brooklyn. Yeah, with a. I was uh, me and my friend Michelle Gall were doing like a little tour, and we played a bunch of spots in New York. And, was it uh, out assistant transfers there? Yeah, and uh, who else was there? It was Ian, Ian Camp, Ian Compton's band. Um, I, I can't remember the name. Lem, Lem. Okay, yeah, it's I don't him remember and, them. Him and his girlfriend. It was their place, and like we played in the backyard of this, uh, of this like apartment. Oh, different, different. That's a different show. Not out assistant transfer. I played there with the Twindos, and um, I think me and I guess the band you're talking about. If I'm remembering right, maybe. <laughs> right, right. Well, like, and it was so it would have been. I, th- I don't know if they went by that then, but um, it, and I, since then Ian's moved to a uh, back to PA, um, but we played that show and you went on and I was like fucking blown away, because I I did a bunch of looping guitar stuff, and mm-hmm. like uh my friend she's a singer songwriter and then you came on and we were just like what the fuck, and I remember talking to you after that show and kind of hanging out for a little bit and you kind of like tell me a little bit of your history and then uh we had we lucked out and got some other random bill that night because you you know when they like you're trying to fucking fill these tours you're just throwing everything out and like yeah it never usually comes back but when you do you're like sweet so we caught huh. your set and then me and you chatted for a bit and then we dipped but we picked up one of your cds tumbleweed and we listened to it all the way back to cleveland me and my friend michelle gall um, cool. <laughs> yeah, and like we're just because she's like that 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 Cran song he sung, which one had that? And like, <laughs> <laughs> but so ever since then I've been like a a fan of your work, man. And like whenever I need to like get the itch to like write shit, I like I got you. I'm sure it's the same way for you. Like you have those artists that kind of make you want to do shit. Yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> like and like for me if it's like people i've met before it's even more inspiring and like i remember like so every time i need that i get the i get the drag of like i don't fucking want to do anything I like i'll pop on one of your records or dylan right something that like just makes me like my brain like think about words and putting shit together um all that being said do you have a hand what are the handful of artists for you that make you want to do that um well, i mean bob dylan was definitely one back in the day when i first uh you know discovered his stuff um uh, Connor Oberst from Bright Eyes, I uh, always kind of get stuff moving if like I hear a new song by by them. Um, John Prine in the beginning used to really inspire me. A lot of these people I'm naming, uh, like they had their moment to kind of inspire me to like you know write, but that was when they were more new to me. Um, I've heard so much of their stuff at this point. I don't really like you know hear like you know. Hard rain's gonna fall, and feel inspired to write like the, the, like something like in that vein. You know, just kind of uh, faded a little bit. But uh, I would say those those three when I started were, and, and nowadays, like you know, I don't know. I guess it's random. I'll hear random random songs from people, or or just whatever comes on a Spotify uh, curated list. And you know, sometimes they'll be like, "Oh, cool! Like I want to write something like that," or that makes you want to pick it, pick up the pen and guitar and put something out you know um so i don't know i guess recently i couldn't name anyone specific um 
but those those folks were some of the people back in the day that really inspired me. That's cool. That makes sense because it'd be like just like food. Like if you go to fucking Taco Bell so much and get the same thing, eventually it's gonna stop tasting like anything. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, but yeah, there was also um, I would say. You know, I'm trying to think. There was, there's, there's been more over the years, uh, but I would say they're the biggest influences. A lot of rap music and stuff. Sometimes poetry. I'd read poetry. I mean, um, just some random poet from like the 16th century or something. I'd come across and like uh, be like, wow, this is a really cool um, imagery going on in this poem. And um, you know, just like inspiration is hard to. What? It's, it's inspiration is kind of hard to figure out where it comes from all the uh, time, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, like, well, because it's kind of part of life, you know? It's, like, enthusiasm is that, like, what drives that kind of, that whatever that inspiration may, like, be whatever object that may be or, like, um, that worked out real nice. What's that? That's a painting and those colors blend together well. Whatever that, like, um, object is that inspires the inspiration. It's the enthusiasm within the person. So, like... And enthusiasm is, like, fucking absurd. There are people who are, like, enthusiastic about trains. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. and, like, uh, it's, it's I've, I've do, been doing this podcast for a while and asking kind of, like, just, like, the, the arc of, like, because I, I don't believe, like, everyone's, like, talented. I believe everyone works at it. And even if it is a natural talent, it's work to be refined and able to, like, express, you know? And, like... I don't like it's inspiration's like a weird question to ask because it, it is just that. It's someone's enthusiasm for a thing and that could be anything. It could be about trains or comics or popcorn or whatever, you know. It's like random. But uh, so that it's interesting cuz I I've noticed personally like like I I don't listen to those artists a lot. I'll save them for when I feel bummed out or like or not like like I want to write. Like oh, I want to write something, so I'll put I'll kind of like save that reserve in a way. Um, but what kind of like to dive into that, which with your work, it's like so like well-written and like I feel so much attention is put into the, the narrative of everything. So do you, do you do lyrics first or do you, is it kind of a process together? Um, I, I guess it's all different. Because, you know, sometimes I'll just, I'm always thinking of like lines that pop in my head, just cool phrases and stuff. And I'll be like, okay, I'm going to put that in the bank and I'll write it in my phone or on a notepad or something. And it just sits there. And sometimes like the song they belong in doesn't come around until like a year later. And sometimes like, you know, I'll just be playing guitar and like mumbling stuff into the air while I'm playing chords and just stumble upon a melody that I'll, I'll be like, oh, that's a good melody. And maybe the lyrics sound like the sound I was making with my voice when I was humming to the guitar strumming. And, and you know, it just kind of comes about in this kind of feeling way. It's like feeling like the invisible stuff and um, making it um, into something tangible, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah. a hard question. It's It's like... It, it's you know it's focus and stuff and kind of just getting used to like feeling stuff out a certain way and finding a formula that you're comfortable with that seems to work for you um you don't want to get stuck in that forever either though um i don't know lyrics always just kind of came pretty easy for me i, I used to um busk in new york city in the street uh subways under the streets and um 
I remember I, because I didn't play like, you know, some cool violin or like a piano or something where people could just listen to the music and, um, you know, enjoy it and tip, tip you. I had to find a way to make people pay attention to me with like lyrics because otherwise I was just strumming like folk songs to like a platform of people waiting for a train at like 3 a.m. And so I started to notice certain lines of my songs that were clever or whatever would make someone stop and turn and look at me and like smile or something or come over and give me a dollar because they tickled their brain or something. And so I started trying to think of like, you know, put my brain in a place that was going to be thinking of witty lines and catchy kind of um, ways of saying some like, you know, far-reaching statement in a, in a sort of like very simplistic and like bouncy rhythmic rhyming playful sort of way and um i think that kind of got my head into this like place of like i want to hit someone with lyrics like i'm punching them like you know hit them with a line and then before they can recover you hit them with another line and then before they can recover just keep hitting them with lines until they're just like what did i just hear <laughs> so that's all like the busking like it's it's kind of is very kind of hemingway in a way you know like because he had that whole six cent, uh, six word story thing and like mm-hmm. and that's hard to do like because I, I as a guy who's I, i've been more of a guitar guy my whole life so writing's always been like a challenge and that's that's not that i know like a lot of interviews harp on well do you do the words and the music but like with you it's like i don't know because like I've gone through all the stuff and including the new record, I'm like, the, everything is so well written. Like there's there's got to be like I don't I don't know. Because honestly, most most of it I feel like you can't you can't write without music behind it. You need the canvas to kind of put it on. But like um, that that busking is such a weird the the gap of because like you're doing it, you're fishing for a slight like a a second of someone's attention, and that's all mm-hmm. you get. And that's that's why like piano dudes or looping dudes or the guy with the didgeridoo and the crazy drum set and the saxophone is gonna get all the people coming over to him because he can loop that whole thing for hours, you know. Yeah. So yeah. doing what you're doing, I'd imagine that'd be super hard, like because just like how you're saying, now you're writing like these dense dense lines, but the as far as a writing challenge and to get to see what works in real time, that's badass. <laughs> yeah it was it's fun it's like putting a puzzle together for me you know like i i i'm like a geek with it like i i like seeing what, how cool i can how cool of something i can make with words um just by myself in like my, my room as i'm putting it together and uh like when it's finished i'll know like okay this is cool like and usually like people are into it um i don't know if i just uh have good tastes and a lot of other people have the same taste or if like I just know a certain just from experience and doing it over and over or just a a little bit of a sixth sense of knowing what a lot of people can relate to I I think a lot of people no matter what kind of sounds you're putting out there everyone you know you know can read something and if it's written well and entertains their brain I think everybody can relate to like a a little bit of whimsy wisdom, you know? Yeah. And it, it's, it, it's with music. It's interesting. Cause like if the music it's it to uh, neurologically, what's going on, what's really interesting about music is your brain is kind of asking what's about to happen and resolving it. So that's like the five, one chord, why that sounds real nice. And we use that in a lot of music or a one, four, five, and it goes back to one. And we want that resolve. So as your brain's hearing that, 
it's solving this riddle, right? And if it's like a simple progression, like a folk song or, or, uh, or even just one chord, your brain doesn't have to figure it out. It's all right there. So it hears what's on top of it. So if you can like have that kind of like accompaniment be like solid and not as complicated, what it's on top gets to shoot out more and sticks out like louder. Like a, I think of it like James Brown music. Like it's all one chord, right? Until he yeah. shouts, he's going to the next chord. <laughs> and yeah. like everyone knows he's going because he confirms it with the band. Um, but you hear what he's saying on it. So like, uh, and it's interesting because like it's, did you start like, well, let's kind of back up because you started playing in a band, right? From what I remember from our conversation in New York, <laughs> like this is stretching it, but I swore you told me you played bass in a band before you we started doing your solo project in writing and going on your own. I played a lead, I played electric guitar and sang for this uh, punk band uh we were called three prong outlet um and you know I, I wrote the songs for that band too and uh you know we played for like five years or something around the mid-atlantic area and some midwest and new england and southern east coast tours and you know um it was a good time uh we we fell apart because mainly I, I was tired of replacing band members for various reasons. You know, people went off to college or got married or joined some other band or, you know, and, you know, I decided to go solo because I figured I could handle everything myself. I'm, I'm, I'm really better at, I'm, I'm really better at like, you know, working with myself, <laughs> I guess. Um, I like playing with bands, but, uh, I don't get as much of a chance to do it these days because, you know, the solo thing and it's hard to find people who are willing to like play in your solo project as like, you know, people backing up your songs. But uh, I like playing in bands, but it's definitely easier to do it uh, alone. Definitely. Especially if you plan to leave town, you know? Yeah, that, yeah for <laughs> sure. That's a big thing. I mean, I, I, I've been able to tour nonstop for me before COVID kind of screwed everything up. Um, I was, I was touring all the time. I tour constantly. I play anywhere and everywhere. And that's the advantage of just being a guy with a guitar. And, um, I'm, I am lucky in the sense, I think that, uh, although I do like to play with a band when I can, like on the new album, um, I have heard from people oddly enough that they actually enjoy me solo more than when I'm with a band for whatever reason. Um, that's what usually grabs people the most maybe because they hear the lyrics clearer and that's what captures them or, you know, I don't know what it is, but it definitely is usually the opposite. People are like, you're going to need a band for people to pay attention. People want to hear a band. And, you know, I think that's kind of a rare thing in my experience um, to have people be like, I'd rather see you by yourself. <laughs> it, that is. Cause usually the bands, it, it's weird that I with, it's interesting. Cause like, so when you stopped, being in three prong and you started doing your own stuff um like requiem for a dream like that first record like requiem uh, for wishing requiem wishing for well. wishing well yeah. <laughs> i i put I my own <laughs> if it was requiem for a dream i'd what have a lot more money <laughs> yeah what the fuck? <laughs> uh, but um but with that record the one song on it what you will um that was like the only one on that that was by yourself so did you like initially think uh, or plan to do like your solo project or your self-titled project as 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 a band and then um sorry go ahead because in then in tumbleweed 
what you will was on that too. So like going through kind of your discography before uh, before talking, like I was like, sounds like you were trying stuff on this record, and that's the thing that stuck. But also it makes sense because like, man, I have I have a band with two other dudes, and it's hard enough. You know what I mean? To like yeah. agree on anything. So was that kind of just trial and error, and like the process of kind of weeding out and like you had to do this all on your own or was it kind of like your message is conveyed clearer by just sticking it to your, like sticking it through yourself. Um, when I wrote that album, I remember, uh, that's like one of the examples of like, you know, bright eyes. I just started like listening to, I think the bright eyes album lifted, um, came out like in 2004 or whatever. And, um, or two, and then I got really, oh, cool, this guy's doing all these, like, layers, and, like, he's, like, the new Dylan of the moment, and, like, all these different instruments are on there, and he's building these orchestra tapestries and all this stuff. So I got into this whole thing of, like, I'm just going to be this, like, solo guy who builds these, like, <laughs> makes this huge painting out of sound on, like, a canvas. Like, my head was just really into just experimenting with whatever, and looking back, it's like, yeah, this just sounds like a dude putting a band behind, like, fast acoustic punk songs for the most part. <laughs> but at the time, it was... Um, but it was all based on kind of, like, Bright Eyes concept. And um, What You Will was actually... Um, the last thing I put on that album, it was written, at, like, right at the last minute. At a, and I don't know really... Uh, I don't know where, where that really came from. I was just sitting in my room one night and just started playing guitar. And it came out, I think I was like 24 or something. I don't remember when that, yeah, 2004, yeah. So, um, yeah, when that was done, I was like, oh, this is cool. What did I do with this? And I was like, well, I can just put it on this album that I have done, even though it's mostly band stuff. I mean, you know, Bright Eyes has acoustic songs on their albums that with other songs with bands on them. So uh, I just... I wasn't really thinking about it. It just, I just threw it on there. And then when, um, you know, when, um, what's it called came out, Tumbleweed, I just felt like, well, I'm going to throw what you will on here because I play it better now. And I, I think I like the live kind of recording sound of it on Tumbleweed better and it fit better there anyway. So I just threw it on there. <laughs> nice. Like it, it, cause it kind of seemed like, Going listen now, hearing that it was kind of bright eyes inspired, like because his his stuff is so fucking layered and it's beautifully done. And you know, I mean, yeah. like there's a there's oh there there's not one that's better than the other, right? There's a art as good as like working the studio like that, and then just it by itself is equally as cool. So like okay, so it was just kind of a that makes and that did that lead into it They're like. Or was it just like, as far as that attempt of writing songs like that, like what you will after writing that one, and it almost sounds like it's like the paranoid, like oh, I just recorded it and threw it on there, you know, like, so it was like <laughs> which is, I guess, sometimes how the best shit happens. But like, did that kind of inspire, like, inspire the next, like, the next batch of tunes that t led to Tumbleweed, or were they kind of in the works as well? I don't remember. Yeah. I, I don't remember what. <laughs> after that I, I i went right after that album came out um the requiems one i got in my van and just drove up to new york city to like try to make it big <laughs> back when that was a thing that people could do and um yeah i just started kind of like 
emulating the whole Bob Dylan thing instead of bright eyes and, you know, got myself a stupid hat and like, you know, a whole, uh, the whole like aesthetic and just went up there and was playing on the streets. And, um, I was, that was kind of like just me learning how to write and learning how to finger pick and play old blues progressions and, you know, just learn more about guitar playing from being around better musicians. Cause there's so many good musicians in New York city. You're just around this environment that's sort of competitive and inspiring all at once. And, you know, it's just this nonstop. I would get up and I would take the train to the city from the closet that I used to sleep in for 120 bucks a month. And I'd get into Washington square park and I'd sit around the park all day and play music and get tips and sell CDs and hang out with a random like, girls from NYU and just like find places to sleep at night, go to open mics every night, like Monday through Friday. If I want a slice of pizza, I just play on the corner till I got like a dollar fifty to get pizza. And like, you know, I, it was just this constant, like meeting people, learning music, doing open mics, like, you know, practicing writing on like pieces of paper and like cardboard and notebooks and just a backpack filled with just all this creative stuff. <laughs> and like, uh, yeah, I, that was what that was like at the time. So I, I wrote I wrote a ton of stuff during that period. But um, I'd say that what you will kind of got me into the realm of thinking about writing maybe more topical stuff or political stuff or social commentary stuff. And um, uh, I'd say what you will inspire kind of moving towards that kind of more lyrically long, intricate type of writing. Okay. Yeah, like it definitely seemed to be like a turning point. And like, do you find is it easy for you to kind of write like a topical thing? Because like you know, it, like you got this way of like, it, like you kind of like a long winded way of like kind of summarizing a thing. And like like how going back to the buskin thing, like the the quick and like uh uh catchy like thought of it, but like the like the phrase itself is a, like the verses are long, right? So it's like looking at it some of those tunes you get a lot of a chance to say something but you gotta you know even just to put something in the line of a song to sum it down like because if you break down like poetry and like compared to like a, a narrative right like or, or like, uh, an essay you really gotta sum it down to like some key emotional factors did you, do you find it easier to write like kind of topically i guess is my question compared to like emotionally or is it like uh -huh. a like at least during this time, like when you're like kind of like, or was it, is that not the case? And when it was the opposite. I would just kind of wait until I heard a, um, I would wait until I heard like a melody that sounded like a memory in my head and had that kind of melancholy sort of vibe to it, whether it was fast, or slow, just kind of this thing that made me feel a certain way inside. And, you know, <clears throat> that I just like, sometimes, I, like I said, I would have a certain lyric or line or phrase that went with it or that I was sitting on. Um, and, you know, it would just come together. But, you know, other times, I guess I would, you know, I'll put it this, think of lines that some of which were topical or political lines, or they would just come out and, and I'd write them down. And then, you know, depending on the melody that might come to me later as I was strumming guitar, I might grab one of those lines that were sitting out and say, I'm going to work on this line. And if that line started out with like, like for instance, that's this song called Nero that I have. I had this line in the chorus, fiddle watching Rome burn down. And um, I just had that sitting in my head forever. And then one day I was, you know, writing whatever. And I was like, 
I'm going to grab that and write a song based on that and just kind of put my head in this place where I was like, write a song about like, you know, the downfall of an empire and just like all that goes on and the destruction of that socially and politically. And like, you know, just sort of like um, seeing yourself as like uh, this person who is tried to like things and help things, but watching it not work out and sort of, sort of just saying like, fuck it. I'm just going to sit and like chill while this goes to hell. Like, which like the song title Nero, like Nero played the fiddle while Rome burned. And like that song sort of just like putting myself in that position as like a, in symbolism way, you know, being like, um, it's like a metaphor for just like watching the world burn and not giving a fuck. <laughs> uh, so I would say that, you know, writing topical or political songs would happen if I had a line sitting around that I thought was good. And then I was in the mood to say, I'm going to build on that, you know? Okay. Yeah. I just personally, I felt like, like to, to write on something like that, you got to know a lot about it, but also like just to kind of like emotionally examine it too is equally as like, that makes sense equally as valid or equally as impactful or can be conveyed equally as impactful. Um, so, cause like this whole, so as you're like, just, living in this closet and immersing yourself in like people's like creativity and trying to ex like yourself examine and see where you're at. Like as far as like guitar, like uh, growing on the guitar, like where were some of the mic nights you were hitting up and who are some of the, the guys that showed you like, this is a Travis picking. Oh, um, well I used to go to uh, the sidewalk cafe a lot in New York city it was in the Lower East Side, and that was a really big place back then. Like, you know, the Moldy Peaches and Kimia Dawson played there and Regina Spector and, like, uh, you know, I heard Beck used to play there. You know, a lot of people came through there. So I, I used to go play their open mic every Monday, which was, like, this nine-hour open mic from 7 p.m. to, like, you know, 5 in the morning or whatever. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, it was long. Hundreds of people play there and you know that was a really competitive atmosphere but there was this place called cafe vivaldi in uh, the west village that's both of these venues are gone now but cafe vivaldi was another open mic that i used to like i, I liked it more because it was more singer songwritery and less that anti-folk folk punk sound or, um at the time i was trying really hard to like be like you know uh, a skilled acoustic guitar player you know folk music um, so I did those two a lot, and uh, this place called the Village Ma, which became these guys called Roots and Ruckus, who ended up starting this thing called the Jalopy Theater uh, for the really, you know, Americana type of artists that come through now. I think they're still active, but, you know, I, I would say that those three open mics were the big ones I went to, but there was tons all over Brooklyn that I would do, but those two were the, so those three were the big ones. And as far as performers who, uh, I guess... This guy, Eric Franzen, who was this really old dude who saw me playing on the street outside of some bar one night on McDougal Street in the West Village. And he was like, hey, you want to come in and have a beer? I'll teach you a thing or two about guitar. And I was like, okay. So we, we had a beer, and he took me across the street to his apartment. This guy's like 75 years old, and he like had pictures on his wall of him with like Hendrix and like Dave Van Rock and all these people from back in the day. And like uh, he had like been around, and Dang. Dave Van Rock, who was a famous, um, you know, a folk musician in the 60s uh, uh, in the village, he taught him how to finger pick, and he was. He said, I'm going to teach you how to finger pick like that because I was finger picking in the, in the wrong way, he said at the time. So he taught 
pick um cross picking traverse picking whatever it's called and like that's the sound that i kind of got really comfortable with doing and you know we left i left his apartment and just kind of practiced playing that finger picking rhythm over and over for like a week in the park and then one day i was sitting down like a week later by his apartment down the street a little bit just on the corner finger picking it and i had gotten it right and as I'm playing it and just going off, I hear this voice above me go, hey, man, you got it. And I looked up and it was this guy, Eric. And he was like, come by again sometime. I'll teach you some more. And um, so that guy taught me, kind of, he kind of opened the door to writing all those finger-picking songs. And the first song I ever wrote with that finger-picking style was the Crayon song. And, um, you know, um, I'd say he was probably one of the biggest influences as far as teaching me, opening my guitar playing up when I was in New York. Damn, that's epic. Yeah, it was I taught cool. him how to do it. <laughs> he doesn't even care. He doesn't even remember, but I, I don't remember. <laughs> wow. That's, well, the, I don't know. Just the fact that someone would do that, like, that's, it, it's interesting because, like, as a, so I've, I've always kind of wanted to expand more and move more out of town and play more gigs out, outwards, you know. But, like, mm-hmm. when I finally got a chance to, now it's COVID. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah it's killing it it really makes it difficult um at least for anything to stay committed like you know you 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 book something then it'll be postponed but like um not to harp on it like but like this idea of like certain areas being more competitive because there's more people the the positive like rose-tinted view is there's more to learn and like Mm -hmm. and if you're just going there like full force like you were at that time like like when you're just living there and that's all you get to do is focus on that like have you like so once you're like moving on from that like where are are you in new york now where are you at (laughs) no i'm in i'm in baltimore Baltimore? i'm in baltimore right now there's nothing happening here i'm just here right now (laughs) gotcha i i feel it um but like uh (laughs) like during this time as you're like invent like kind of expanding like did you like after you started touring, was that when like, like just road dogged it forever, or like was that kind of like, did, like I guess the way I'm trying to say this is after you like you kind of circled the city around enough and really started the tour, did you feel like you needed to go back or just keep going and hit the road? Go back to New York? Or... Yeah, yeah. Because like if you were living there for a minute and kind of like immersing in this like creative bubble, creative competitious bubble. I'd say uh, when I started, I toured all through, you know, my, before I even moved to New York, I did oh, okay. uh, a okay. U.S. tour. I used to do like a U.S. tour every, like every other summer or something. And, um, you know, the first time I went around the whole whole U.S. was 2004 or 5. Um, and then I went to New York and uh, I stayed there for like, I guess, like two years straight. And then after that, I did another U.S. tour and then went back to New York and moved into an apartment in a different area. And when that fell apart, I went on another U.S. tour. And, you know, I did. I would kind of go back and forth from New York to a tour mm-hmm. for a while. But uh, around 2013, right when I put, like, Tumbleweed out, I had gotten... I'd gotten wrapped up in the Occupy Wall Street thing, and, you know, I was down there when that was going on in, like, 2011 or 12 or whatever it was, and um, I ended up getting on this compilation album with a bunch of, like, 
artists like Joan Baez and like Willie Nelson and you know Jackson Brown, Immortal Technique, all these like big names who are Damn. trying to contribute stuff to the Occupy Wall Street movement with this benefit album. So I got on that record and um the guy who put it together, um, he said he wanted to start managing me and like you know, I was like, Okay, I never tried that before, so let's give that a try and didn't turn out too good and um I kind of was like, well, I'm just kind of hanging around New York, not doing anything. I'm not playing any gigs. This guy has got me wrapped up as like the Occupy Wall Street voice and shit. And I didn't really want to do that forever. So like, I kind of just picked up, uh, I threw Tumbleweed together really fast and just recorded it in a basement with whatever songs I had laying around. And then I just uh, booked this tour around the U.S. Um, Well, no, it started out with a, this thing called Planet X Festival, which was a big like folk folk punk festival in the Midwest at the time, and uh, I I got booked on that, um, and ended up going out there for this little two week tour in the Midwest to play that, and I took a bunch of CDs with me of uh, what what became Tumbleweed. It wasn't called that yet. It was the same songs but a different cover, and um, I passed them all out at that festival and went back to New York. And next thing I knew all these people from all over the country who had come to that festival to like see, you know, Planet X Fest went back to their hometowns and were like messaging me saying, Hey, come play my house, come play my house. So I started kind of building this tour network around where all those CDs went. And between that and asking people who they knew in different States who, you know, had house shows or DIY venues and kind of getting away from the whole bar scene and just, fuck the bars uh, fuck the real gigs go play open mics go play basements go, sorry not open mics houses play like yeah. box cars wherever the hell someone had a show and i found out like that really started to kind of pick up my name out there people started to actually like listen at the shows versus you know make noise and talk while they're drinking right. and uh you know I, I i just kept doing that over and over and Basically, I would just, you know, book a tour out west. I would get to Humboldt County, California. I would trim marijuana for my friend out there and make some extra money in case, like, I had shows fall through. So I had a little safety net of weed money. Just back around the south, up the east coast, back home for Christmas. Do it all again. I did that, like, for, like, 2000, I guess, 13 to, like, 16. Like, every, every year. I just stayed on the road. Damn. Was it a... Wow, like, cause it's in, it's interesting that like this cool compilation that you think would have brought all those opportunities wasn't the thing that did. It was playing one festival and handing out your own CDs. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 that's mind boggling. Cause like, it to I feel like a lot of at least a lot of people going into music don't they they think it's gonna be like that. You're gonna on a compilation, it's gonna be easy, and like, uh, but I think it's. That's the thing. It's like how you're doing it, how you fucking just book it and you go out there, you play the show to like two people. You play the shitty bar gig and meet the one guy who's got the house show. Because like the house, I I 100% back you on that. I feel the DIY venues, the house venues, the weird art gallery venues, the, the venues that you don't think should be called a venue are the places where people actually listen more. And like the people you meet there are people that care more about music it's you know it's weird like a professionally built venue that should be like the thing there where they come there to care about the music doesn't really seem to be the thing it's the people in these weird like fucking just basements <laughs> i don't know yeah totally i i i if i had stayed in new york and just like 
banked on, you know, this uh, manager getting me somewhere within the music industry, you know, because I've had a handful of people over the years come out of the woodwork and say, hey, you know, I'm going to make you a star or whatever bullshit, and like, it never works out. But, you know, just hitting the pavement and, you know, um, handing out CDs that you burned yourself and just, you know, meeting people and sleeping on couches and playing everywhere and anywhere you can get a gig. That's what really made the difference. I mean, so I'd say <laughs> definitely. And people would ask me when I come back to New York, I'd go to like Cafe Vivaldi or some of the places I used to hang out at and play. And they'd say, yeah, you're getting out there and doing it. I, I, why are you playing basements though? And like these little weird living rooms. And I'm like, because that's where people were paying. They're, they're seeing me there. Like you guys are sitting here, sitting in the same damn school you were sitting at like when I left here a year ago and you're still here, you know, it's cool and all, but like, I mean, that's why no one's paying attention to you. Like, you're not out there getting heard. You're playing for the same 20 kids every open mic Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you like, do you get antsy like being in one place? Yeah. I hate it. It (laughs) (laughs) Cause like, I, I, I don't know. I'm literally pacing right now around. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I do that shit all the time when I'm talking too. Okay. Cause like (laughs) there was on the new record and like this really made me think about, uh, there's this line um, that says, I'll be your tumbleweed if you be my ball and chain. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, kind of like, even like getting out to New York and like kind of hitting these tours and like going around and like, like it's cause I, I would do weekend warrior dashes. Right. And I would, I would play by myself. I would, I would book a state and just find a bunch of house shows, come back the next. And I, I can only afford to do it every like month. Cause like uh, my day gig is I'm a music teacher. So, like, I can't really dip in the week, and I found that to be fulfilling enough to be, like, I'm constantly moving, chasing, like, kids around. And, like, but, like, uh, I get I get this, like, kind of, like, you get so used to being in one spot and being, like, okay, I'm here. There's a weird record store, a weird coffee shop, and, like, you just get so, like, kind of, like, uh, and I imagine living in New York, too. There's shit going on all the time. Um so, like, to sit down, like, and I imagine that kind of would, it, after doing what you did, because that's, like, the, like, extreme of it, just road-dogging yourself for years on end, like, you know, like, yeah. like to be, like, where the fuck's the next week going to go? Like, so to have this kind of reflection time, and, and, and this is kind of a long-winded thing to kind of drive into this new record, I feel like this new record is kind of, like, more self-reflective in a way, so... That all being said, like, do you find it hard to kind of like have kind of relations in more than one spot because they're like, you know what I mean? Like, I'd, I'd imagine like someone who's always on the go, like you are, a relationship would be one of like the fucking hardest things to have because like someone's in one spot and you're not. Yeah, they they definitely um uh, have all fallen apart. <laughs> um. I've, uh, yeah, they're hard. I mean, that's what a lot of that record's about is like, uh, love and breakups and, you know, being emotional stuff with someone. Um, because, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of it's about one particular girl that I was dating in 2017, 18. Like, I, like, you know, I thought it was like the one, you know, yeah. whatever that means. Um, but, you know, I, like I said, you know, I'm, I can't sit still, you know, it's kind of like, um, I've had a hard time, and part of this is on me, you know. It's like you're not going to be able to build a solid 
relationship with someone on a mature level if you're you know wanting to go like hang out in like you know wyoming and you know sleep on the couch and play you know a show at some like weird venue that's just not going to work for the most part um but i wasn't really aware of that um i would say you know that was like one of my first like you know actually a, adult relationships where i was like you know okay now you have to move on to like sort of marriage and stuff like that because i've spent my whole 20s like traveling and doing crazy shit so you know i'm just not used to that kind of like level of like uh you know adulting commitment at the time when i wrote that because this album's kind of like based on something that happened like six years ago seven years ago now. Uh, um it keeps it kept getting held off because of covid so it's just <laughs> dragging yeah. to get out but um so uh yeah i would say a lot of the, a lot of the songs on that album are about me and her um so you know uh, i would say that the line you just mentioned actually is about her and me about the tumbleweed and the ball and chain thing um but i mean you could apply it to anything you know yeah. and yeah you're right when you're just like you know a person who's kind of always looking i have a really high like you know um stimulation level from just like you said constantly just you know going to the extreme of things um i kind of like you know get bored quick kind of want to go do something else my mind's always on my music or when the next tour is going to be when the next album's coming out when the next song's going to get written and you know sometimes like you know you're with somebody and they just want you to sit and focus on you know shopping at like you know um uh, the hobby shop and like you know picking out like some wallpaper or whatever and it's just like i wasn't used to doing that i would zone out and start thinking about you know lyrics and next thing you know like getting kind of like under someone's skin because i'm not like putting you know full attention into the you know relationship stuff and you know that's that's kind of on me but yeah you know i guess it depends also who you end up with some people don't mind that you know the right person works with the person who you are you know definitely okay that okay i relate to that so much that's that's why that line stuck out so much to me i'm like oh i think this is it because like <laughs> i've i've kind of to a different extreme right like I, I haven't got to travel as much and do as much but within cleveland we do a lot and like mm-hmm. and like i'm always trying to like figure out the next thing and driving my band crazy being like they're, they're do whatever and like I've personally had a lot of problem with relationships as well because, like, it's so it's not because I haven't been in town, but it's because I haven't. You, you start to focus on a thing, and like that, so that makes a lot more sense with like even lyrically, kind of like or musically where you're coming from. Because like, if you developed kind of grabbing people's attention and realizing that as these kind of quick bursts of like one two punches, and like, but those are impactful punches. It's kind of like you practice that punch a hundred times, wherever that Bruce Lee quote is. Right. And like, <laughs> it fucking hurts. That looked like it hurt. That's a one inch punch. He didn't say much, but he said what he said in that hurt. <laughs> like, <laughs> so to have that level of like line ready, that means you put that much time into it. And to think about like that, like just listening through your, your discography up into this conversation. I'm like, everything is like super dense. So like that makes sense that, that there's this kind of manic intention applied to it. And, like, I can see where that would be pretty time-consuming. And, like, so it part of me is like, okay, that's stoked to hear that's that's what it is. Because if not, if this was all just magic, I'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, it's, you become what you put your energy towards, you know? And, like, and you know, if, uh, yeah. I was going to say, do you, like, so since this is kind of like a recap of, like, this time period and it's just been kind of prolonged to be put out there, do you find yourself, like, now because of the circumstances like finding it easier to kind of be in one spot and finding it easier to like kind of like 
slow down and focus? Nope. No, no, okay. not at all. I'm, 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 I'm hating this. I don't like any of what's going on in the world right now. Um, I, uh, I want to go back out and tour and, you know, I just want to get back to the way things were. I don't know if that's ever going to happen quite the same way it was before all this. I think the world's going to kind of uh, adjust in a way that I'm not really sure of how that's going to look yet, but I want to be back out touring really badly. Um, it hasn't gotten easier sitting still because when I get so when I sit still, I get into trouble, man. Like, you know, I've gotten into substance abuse yeah. stuff. I've gotten into bad relationships. I've gotten into like, you know, bad habits. And like, you know, I'm one of those guys who kind of does better on the, on the move. Like, um, I did this one tour, like a couple right before COVID, I, I, you know, fell out of a bad relationship and I ended up getting completely sober and eating better and working out. And I went on the road for three months and, did a tour and somehow worked out four days a week every morning for an hour, like an hour on the treadmill, hour jogging, and then, you know, crunches, curls, weight lifts, whatever. And then, you know, I would go and play shows and do the same thing like every day, four days a week and just stayed sober the whole time. So, you know, that was easier than sitting still and doing that for me. Like mm-hmm. I just do better traveling and going, um, you know, and uh, as far as all of it goes, yeah, it is time consuming. Uh, I'd say like that line, like sometimes the line, like, you know, the tumbleweed line you're talking about that that like seven words or whatever like could take like you know a whole year to write right because <laughs> you have to live to live it so i mean i would say it's like a lot of work and but with everything i'd say there's a little magic in the sense that like you know you have to be born in the right situation with the right you know cognitive skills and interest and like you know all the things needed to actually put something out on paper that comes out of your head and plus the experience to get it going in the first place so the magic is kind of everything locking together at once to make the circumstance happen with a person so um i would say that's the magic part um maybe there's more i don't know but a lot of it is work too you know it's like yeah. working you gotta put you gotta put your like you gotta commit to something you know like you gotta like you sell your soul to the devil you know like <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that makes sense though because like it's the time the time to make that impactful and like um so like uh like when you kind of got you know sobered up and like was it easier to write kind of sober and on like in this tour routine is that like so it sounds like that manic kind of like pacing is your comfort and like so like how like in my mind i'm trying to like like see where in which besides like taking notes along the road and just take observing things and putting that like a song seed in the pocket the save for later. But like, uh, as far as like state did like kind of sobering up and kind of the, the physical, like, uh, cause you got that, you got that song about quitting smoking. I imagine that was part of this process. Like, um, did all that kind of help the creative output and like kind of creative, uh, routine. I mean, I wrote that smoking song before a long time. I think probably, 12 years old almost. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I know that's, that's from a different record. I'm, I'm I was smoking when I wrote that song, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I quit afterwards. But um, at any rate, uh, I, I would say that, you no, know, I want to, I want to be like, you know, what everybody wants to hear is that like, yeah, I got sober and like put out the, the album. I always wanted to release. And I finally really started to feel my lyrics and know what I was saying. And it was really sincere and your sobriety was great, but that's not the case. Like, you know, honestly, like sometimes like I'll be, honest like sometimes i i can definitely say that um staying up all night and doing a bunch of cocaine and you know you know 
running around New York City and, you know, getting into crazy situations with, like, this chick or this, like, crazy bum or whatever the hell is happening. Like, sometimes after all that, you're just sitting there kind of wired at 4 a.m., you end up writing this great song, and, like, that's happened before, you know? (laughs) That, like, chaos kind of, like, sometimes inspires me to get things done. And I feel like, you know, when I... When, I, when I've been like really strictly sober, very strict and routine, um, I'm so focused on staying sober and like, you know working out and like you know doing this sort of new. It's kind of like you become this new character and instead of this like kind of like rambling like Woody Guthrie kind of like um, Rimbo sort of like poet person. You end up being this kind of like gym rat type guy who's just like really focused on staying fit. And that doesn't really make me want to write music. It's just kind of, I mean, you'll live longer, but I don't know if you're really like, you know, sometimes like what's the point of fucking, what's the point of being alive if you're not living, you know? So I'd say on some level, it's like if there's a way to kind of release, get to that output that I've had and sort of in my more chaotic moments with creativity, uh, I haven't really figured that out. Uh, how to apply that to being completely sober and straight, like, and, you know, having a very organized life. Like, uh, I think it's time management, maybe. I just, like, that's not where my focus is when I'm, you know, running a mile. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's it's definitely, it definitely is its own thing. And it's just, like, another thing to have to, like, focus on and, like, put your energy towards and, like, kind of shift your, uh, shift your attention to. Because it, it's... Yeah. Like it's it sounds like you're the type of guy that's like always like kind of like if there's a moment of silence you're kind of f- filling it with like with what the, like just what's a what's a good bit how can this not a good bit but a good what's the kind of the the beauty within this to captivate to something else because I I feel like one that's important how you said that because that is like the answer you hear like so a lot of people like yeah I got sober and. This is my best. This is the best Metallica record yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> is it? Is it? Um, no, it was, anger was terrible. <laughs> it was. <laughs> or some kind of monster, whatever it was. Anyway, <laughs> but so, like, and that's not life. And that's not sobriety, isn't like, I've always been sober. I, I've, for some reason, my, like, my personally, my brain's always been, like, focused on, like, how does how does the 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 crazy like dude that makes no sense like how do, how do you, how did you do that on the guitar? Why is that the coolest thing I've ever heard? And like I analyze way too much and like have like put way too much focus on that where it could just be a fart, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> and like but that's that's where my brain's at is like so I've never really kind of had like the um kind of like tangents with substance kind of to distract me from that like manic no, you did that thing. That's the thing you meant to do and then people be like uh no, I just fucking put my hands here and it sounded cool. What you know what I mean? Like not saying that's what you just said, but you know what I mean? Like in my brain, I'm always trying to seek like a meaning that might not be there. And like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like sometimes it just is, which is for me has been like through like going through high school, that's all I've ever learned was like, Oh yeah, that, that cool guy that played the A C D C song just fucking doesn't know how it goes. Like, he just makes it sound like he does. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't, at the same time, I wouldn't, I'm not, I wouldn't say you need drugs or anything to write or need chaos yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff to write. I just think, you know, uh, in some situations, it's been more helpful than being completely like, you know, straight with stuff, you know? I mean, uh, uh, I've written songs, uh, sober, 
um, I've written songs on drugs. I've written songs like half asleep with songs like, you know, in all kinds of situations, like just sitting there crying over paper, you know. Um, but I, I, I would just say if the interest is not there to do something or make something to begin with, you can it doesn't matter what you sniff or fucking drink. It's not going to make anything happen. Like you're not going to become something that you aren't already because you did a bunch of acid. Right. No, I think that's well said because like you got there's gotta be that kind of going back that enthusiasm enthusiasm for for writing. You gotta fucking that's gotta be the thing that makes your brain like go trains, you know, whatever. Yeah, exactly. You have to it's like it's just it's like it's just like opening another window to look through, like when you write, you know, it's like whether you're having writing through the fucking writing through the lens of a, a relationship or a job at Walmart or like, you know, uh missing your parents or whatever um no matter what that is um uh you can, dr drugs are just another thing that you could end up writing through a window of mm. so um but like i said i wouldn't endorse anyone to do anything because they think it's going to make them a better something just you know you got your own path man <laughs> yeah no i, I agree with that 100 percent because i've seen friends that you know, think that's going to help them, and that ultimately is a distraction. Because, like, I think this circle, this this conversation, we kind of keep circling. And it comes back to like putting in the work, and like uh, one thing I want, like when you said, uh, you know, you can spend so much time working that you're not living. It's kind of brings up that question: Do you want to live the work or work to live? And like, that's such a weird fine line because, like, I feel like uh, if you're doing the thing you want to do, you're obsessed with the work, but it's still like work which can take away from the living aspects of things right like having a relationship with someone in one spot becomes way way harder of a thing to do because you're so focused on doing the thing that you're enthusiastic in your life's about you know and where in the vice versa like if you were like kind of just doing this bullshit thing to get you through it you have all this extra stuff but you're not as appreciative for it because you're like the thing you do sucks and it kind of like carries over so it's a weird balance of everything. Like, it's a weird balance of, like, uh, taking in and putting out with, like, substance or seeing through different views or now no substance and just hyper-focus and lack of focus and, like, enjoying what you do and fucking hating what you do, <laughs> you know? Like, do you... So, like, with that kind of, like, I don't know. all Like, that was, like, just me kind of summarizing my thoughts of everything to figure out what I wanted to ask next. But, like, <laughs> like but, like, kind of, like, one thing I found interesting to pull into like a, a better better form of a question, not just a statement, is like um, looking at the album like uh, this is art and this new record, the, the a big chunk of it has a band with within both. Like this is this is art from what I remember. All the tracks are with a band except for the last one, and like um, in this one there it goes in and out. But like I feel like the band serves what you do like songwriting wise much more on these two records than in that first one, which would make sense because you kind of defined it through Tumbleweed. But um, with this newer one, you you venture into some weird, weird like territory that's not just like kind of like a like a common kind of like the progressions that were kind of found on This Is Art. Um, but like uh, Charlotte's Divine is like one that comes into mind. Like that's that's a mood. And like... Uh, so with this record, as opposed to as as well as like kind of the topic being around this one person, um, musically, was there certain influences on it? 
Um, <laughs> Sorry, that oh, was a no. fucking twist of a question <laughs> from like sure. me, like having like a kind of like ins- uh, mental inspiration to like fuck. I should make it a thing you can respond to, <laughs> as opposed to yeah. <laughs> Charlotte Divine is kind of like uh, well, I'd say I was listening listening to a lot of Tom Waits when I wrote that, so maybe that was sort of a, a vibe for that to be inspired okay. by. Uh, he's another lyricist I like a lot, actually. Um, and uh, but you know, I don't know. I I'm not sure. I just kind of had these songs, and like I was, I got bored, and I wanted to put a band on them. <laughs> um, and there was more rock vibes to some of them. This just sounded like they needed more of like rock and roll, punk rock, dirty garage type of like energy to them. And um, you know, uh, call it art was like uh, that was just me kind of like tripping out and like wanting to just experiment with no real ideas to what it would sound like, just you know, letting my like brain go like haywire and just seeing what happens. So I wouldn't say there's been any sort of plan. I just kind of went with what I felt at the okay. time. Cause that's, <laughs> that's not that, a great answer. <laughs> no, it, but it doesn't have to be, you know, like, cause I think of like between the lines and that's like such kind of a blues driven, like, and that that's got kind of that hip hop feel you're you're saying that was influencing you early in our conversation, and then like then hearing something like Charlotte's Divine or um, uh, what was the country sounding one? Uh, um, uh, here's to you. Here's to you. Yeah, yeah, like like something like that, which is I guess I guess this one has more kind of genre instrumental tropes than some of the other records. Yeah, there's. I mean, I guess there's like a. I don't know. I mean, I don't write like a specific sound. I guess um, some songs sound like like it's a country. They sound like a country song. Other sounds like you know a more dancey rock song. Some sound like you know rap or like blues. Um, and some are like folk or folk punk, whatever. But like I got kind of the people like you know see me as this like folk punk guy, and like I don't really agree with that at all. I just uh, I mean I don't know. I, I don't even know what folk punk is. Um, I definitely don't, you know, dress like train core or nothing with like washboards and all that. Like I, um, I'm in that circle. I know a lot of the bands in that circle. Uh, I guess like maybe the way I've gone about my career is kind of punk rock and like the sense that it's the DIY thing. And, um, there's, I have some fast songs that are kind of really beating up the guitar and, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure how, like I got wrapped up in that genre because I think I write, lots of different stuff um which might be like partially why i i uh i have a hard time sort of finding a niche because like you know someone's going to hear call it art and then they're going to hear tumbleweed and you know not everybody's going to really be like oh cool i like this too because they're so different um but you never know <laughs> was well, it well it you know that's kind of like the i don't know the punk part of it should be like that's fucking dope like Matt's doing some cooler shit now, or this is fucking equally as cool. Like they kind of pick a pick a flavor and stick to it. You know, it goes back to like kind of what we were saying earlier. Like eventually, it starts to lose the inspiration. You know, and yeah, like, you're bored, man. Yeah. <laughs> so well, yeah. You know, what I mean, like it, and like so. I think it's I think it's important to be in flux and like to to in like hear those tropes and be like, how can I fucking use this? How can I use a fucking banjo in my stuff? Like I don't <laughs> like like it. <laughs> Sorry, the stagnation is the death of inspiration. I think so. You gotta just keep moving yeah. because when you stop moving, you're gonna stop writing. 
you know, stop creating things. And I don't mean moving, like physically moving, although that's a thing too, just moving in like, you know, a mental or spiritual space, you know, you just got to keep, keep being interested, keep being excited and like keep finding like the child inside you that's ready to like play with crayons, you know? Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I think that was beautifully said. And like, so I, I was having this conversation with, um, uh, um, Alexander Hacke, and he was saying like, they're they're these nomadic uh like kind of techno musicians and like they're from Berlin Berlin and like they do all this uh all this crazy cool stuff and they're always their whole thing was they were always on the go and they were, until until now of course but like and they're badass and everything about them is cool um, but we were we were getting down this line and it kind of brought up a similar point where like the always be moving and kind of growing and keeping that like um, spiritual mindset but then a lot of spirituality is kind of about being still. You know, what I mean, a lot of times, like humans, like we we want this like kind of adventure and need this kind of like momentum, but we strive to be still, and we're inspired by the woods and nature and this all this stuff that's like not moving. So it's a really weird. I don't. I don't know. Do you do you find that like during like as soon as you're like moving and actively doing shit, do you ever want just to fucking stop? Like, do you get this moment like where like you strive for that, that nature, that stillness or like, is yeah. it? Yeah. 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 No, I do for sure. I mean, I definitely like to have, I'm, I'm a very extroverted introvert. I kind of need a little bit of all of it. You know, I'm, I'm all about going to like a party and just like having a crazy time and like hanging out with people. But, you know, I definitely need that like sort of kind of calmness, you know, driving. Like when I drive on tour, I love going by myself because like, I don't have to listen to any music. I don't have to talk to anybody necessarily. I don't have to like worry about, you know, not wanting to pull over in the middle of some weird canyon and just like and out and sitting there and sunset and having it piss somebody off. Like I, I, I just drive in silence a lot and listen to the wind and that's kinda of like that kind of peaceful place for me. Um and uh, you know, um going to the beach. I love the water. I love going to the beach and just like kind of just sitting there by the water watching the tide come in or something. And um you know, those kind of things. I I, I like the desert, being in the mountains, being out west. Nature is cool. You know, I love I love anything that, you know, is visually and like, you know, um physically comforting, spiritually comforting. Be at any given time. Yeah, I definitely need a balance. I think that's a really to have that kind of like striving for these like kind of manic adventures then have that distance and that stillness in between even though you're still moving to some degree right the mo- the waves are moving the cars moving the wind it's like that's a, that, that's an interesting place to find that stillness uh um, yeah <laughs> people uh, go ahead sorry no 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 keep going no, people always like ask me, "What are you listening to while you're driving?" I'm like, "The wind, man. I hear enough music." <laughs> well, they're probably like, "Yeah, okay, cool, hippie dude, like the wind." <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like I don't know. I mean, like I, I, I get, I get tons of CDs from people on tour to listen to, and like I'll pop them in sometimes. But you know, it's like, and also I think the older you get, sometimes the harder it is for pitchy the way it did when you were like 25 you know like it's like you've heard so much you've done so much you've lived so much it takes something really special to kind of like like knock your soul up a bit you know after experiencing so much of the world a lot of times i think people in general stay settled into their like musical habits from the past like decade once they get to like 35 and like you know cool with that and they still find stuff that's new and interesting but a lot of times you see people just kind of staying stagnant 
if they even listen to music at all um in, in, the, in between the chaos of their like you know day-to-day lives depending on what they're doing at that point with like you know family or kids or full-time jobs or whatever and for me it's sort of like I, I hear so much music sometimes and there's something pops out and I'm like, whoa, that person's a really good lyricist or that person knows how to write a song or this band's really good or they're playing some cool guitar stuff. Like I can recognize when something's really something to it. Like I yeah. can really, I can see the it factor with people. I feel like if I was like, you know, worked in the record industry in like the sixties, I would be a great A&R guy. Cause I can always pick the people who are going to make it. Like I, I, I've like found like so many people who've gone places later on and, uh, I'm like, yeah, that was that. That was them. That was the song I liked. That was like, so it's, uh, I don't know. Something just get a feeling, and you're like, it's they got it. Was it well? Just from the amount of like witnessing, you know, what I mean, like a lot of that just comes from like, you know, finding the line that gets people atten- people's attention as they're walking by. A lot of that training, a lot of that like, you know, busking factor is kind of how it works. And, like, just, you know, you've played so many shows, and, like, that's what you're going to do. You drive to go be at the show, you know, I mean, you go to witness the music. You're going to listen to the music, so you get there, and then, you like, that's one thing that kind of drives me crazy about shows is, like, when when people are, when someone's playing and someone's trying to talk with you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I can't fucking hear what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> no, much. oh, man. Yo, I, that shit, like... I don't know, man. People like at shows, and there's a band playing loud, and they're in your face and your ear, and I'm like, dude, I can't hear half the shit you're saying. And I just like nod in my head, like, uh huh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I feel like an asshole, but I'm just like, look, I can't. It's just, just wait till the band's done, man. Like, a hundred percent. There's no way I'm gonna like one one an interesting thing, I guess. Um, because like, do you ever like vocally? Do you ever get fried? Like from, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the other thing. People are trying to scream in a bar. I gotta play every night. Someone's not even thinking of the fact that you know this guy needs to rest his voice. Half the time you're playing without a microphone, so it's just like, give me a break. I can't have an in-depth conversation about like you know what was the true state of the Soviet Union or something while I'm sitting there like hearing some loud-ass emo band. Like it's just like some slag, bro. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I also imagine people come at you very politically too. I, I, I bet I, I, I kind of imagine you get a lot of people like me who are like, "Tell me about writing," and then you get a bunch of people that are like, "Tell me about politics." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. in the, oh, the... <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> no, just like and to have a conversation like that or like this in that type <laughs> of environment, it's fucking awful. Have any conversation, not that the topic or the person's bad, but just like to try to do this when there's like how you're like, because I yeah I I'll play a bunch of shows just in Cleveland for a week and like I'll lose my voice like mostly because I'm hyping someone up like or talk trying to convey and be like yeah that was great. And like, you know what I mean? That's where I lose my voice. It wasn't the four hour set. It was talking to you in between the other set, you know? <laughs> hey, you think you can give me a show in Cleveland coming up? at sort of like the beginning of February, last minute. Is that possible? Um, f- fuck yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We'll figure be... it out. Cool. <laughs> like... Yeah, okay. I just remembered I kind of need to go through there to get someplace. And uh, like a house show or any old thing will be fine just to stop somewhere. Yeah, text anyway, me. Yeah. Te- <laughs> text me about that. This is going to be a plug for this show. So in February... <laughs> <laughs> if this is out by February, come to this show. We'll figure out. I got a cool spot. I got a cool spot. I'll try to put. So what? Do you know what day? Bit in the interview. Where have you played in Cleveland? 
Like, I don't even remember, man. Yeah. I don't even know. I, I know I played there before, but I can't remember where. Uh, Do you go through I've Cleveland played... a lot? I know you go through Ohio a lot. Much in Cleveland, I know I have, but it's not like a regular stop. I haven't had a consistent, you know, contact there. I played Columbus a bunch and Akron and, uh, you know, um, where the hell is there a place? Alliance and uh, Cincinnati. But, yeah, um, so I don't know if I can play Cleveland a whole lot. I've played there before. Okay, well, we'll put something together for sure. How do you know? Cool. Uh, how do you know um, Keith Kenny? Oh man, uh, that cat was uh, friends with this girl Francie Moon, who oh, I she's used to dope. tour with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A long time ago, I met him. Uh, she was friends with him somewhere, and like, he was killing him, like his horror stuff and the loops and all those jams. So like, um, and he was like a super nice guy. He's like uh, one of the few people like who you know. I mean, you meet a lot of cool people and on tour, but he's one of those guys who's just like you know. I've only seen him play like once or twice. Like we don't really know each other that well, but like he's always just like been like super fucking cool when I've needed like a help with something or put a put a shout out into the void of Facebook for like some contact or this or that. He's always just like, yeah, man, fucking how's it going? Hope you're doing good. <laughs> Seems he, like he's got a reason to be nice to me. You know, he's a cool guy, I guess. <laughs> he he is one of the nicest dudes. I did a chat with him a while ago. And like, um, and then like, cause I, I wanted to reach out to you. I've been wanting to reach out to you for a while, but, uh, I, I just didn't know like when, cause I started doing this during the shutdown. This is how I handled my manicness. Like, this is how I handled not like booking shows. Cause I, I kind of wanted to keep reaching out to people and meeting people. So when the show thing becomes a possibility that at least I didn't do nothing and those virtual open mic nights and virtual gigs, fuck. Those were all right, but they kind of blow. Um, the people that we were doing them with were cool, but you know, it's just it's not the same. So, no, uh, I hate him. <laughs> yeah. So talking with him, and because uh, he like I I met France I met Francis Moon like a uh, uh she came through. Actually, I was hosting an open mic night at a sober bar in Ohio <laughs> called Not a Bar, nice. and <laughs> she was playing with a uh, some group some like it was like a it was her and like two other guys and like it was like a like a band she was doing a folk tour with and like she, she was fucking badass but I, I don't think she was heading it i think she was like because i know she plays drums and a bunch of other things but um crazy crazy small world man um well all right well, like when we, let's uh, let's cap it at this <laughs> we'll figure it out man um but yeah awesome my dude well thanks so much for the chat matt and uh i'll hit you up soon with this and you hit me up soon with that cool thanks dave i appreciate it awesome later dude all right take care bye